0: I need to let go, you know, you know, no, you don't, you don't want to shine on through the hearts of man, I want to reach out. a man, I want to reach out with the back of my broken hand, another headache, another heartbreak, I'm so much older than I can take, reflection, well it comes and goes, I need direction to perfection, No, 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 help me out, here we go, hi guys, we're back on the case, how goes it out there in Twitch land? hope it's going well hope everyone's ready for the second of a, turns out two presidential debates gotta say I'm excited now that I've pushed through to the other side of the looking, mirror, looking glass uh, and especially after I watched them both simultaneously uh, during the town hall last week which actually ended up being way less jarring and discombobulating than the first debate because, one, I had a bunch of other co-hosts who were talking so that added, you know, cognitive di- uh, distortions, but just the fact that they were talking, like, at the same time, but about without being aware of it, like, without, you know, challenging one another, it really uh, it gave it sort of like a soothing um, like, symphonic quality because I was able to sort of tune pay attention to one or the other like I'd hear both but if I looked at one of them I could hear them more directly and the other one kind of fell into the background and so I could kind of pick my pick I could turn into a pixie song and I could go for a nice like shell like a nice a minute or so just listening to Joe just this soft grandfatherly senescence of of, of Joe just sounding like he's talking himself into uh, into Dreamland sounds like he's getting he's waiting, and it sounds like he's waiting to get the Edward G. Robinson treatment from Soylent Green, and that's soothing. But you know, it's could get it would get boring if I listened to the whole thing. So then I just look at Trump, and he's screaming at Samantha Gut- Guthrie about how we have the best, we're doing the best, we have the best tests, we have more tests than anybody at the and China. No, and it's like boom, they it's like loud, quiet, loud. And then you go back after that becomes too taxing, and you go back to Biden, and it's like soothing again. With them actually talking to each other and having like one conversation, I think it's going to be uh, honestly more challenging to keep Zen. But I think with my last couple of experiences, I've learned to just absorb the gestalt and just absorb sort of the noises, the sounds. Yeah, like like a symphony. Like 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 their voices are just instruments for aesthetic appreciation. They do not exist to communicate uh, ideas or facts or policy or anything. Is there a more failed world leader in history than Benito Mussolini? That's an interesting question because on the one hand, Mussolini is one of the great political entrepreneurs of the modern era. This is a guy who saw the writing on the wall in world war one saw it as the death knell for like marxian socialism as a meaningful political current or uh, at least a political current that could realistically take power uh in europe after world war Two. because you know they sure were headed towards that point when world war one happened and shattered everything uh as we've talked about before on the, on the streams but a lot of socialists were left after world war Two very bereft of like an understanding of how to move forward and you saw them fall to bloody uh, internal mayhem in Germany and elsewhere because no one knew what to do, especially after the, so- uh, the Soviets won. But, uh, Mussolini looked at what was happening said, what do we got here? We've got a left wing that's got this massive popular base but is existentially feared by the powers that be in, in our society and as we just saw they're willing to do almost anything to prevent the uh, the left wing from taking power, including destroying Europe. Here we are. What we got on the right? We've got a right wing uh, movement that has obviously, a, or a reactionary, you know, power base that has control of all the power within the society, but has basically no popular uh, support among actual people. Which in the modern era, in the new. 20th century era of mass politics is now necessary. So Mussolini said, well, we'll take the shit that gets people in the streets for the left and we'll just do it for the right. And in so doing, he created an entire... He helped create... and He wasn't the only one who did it, but he was the most... I mean, he was the first one, and, and Hitler was slavishly uh, fixated on what Mussolini was doing. And the, the Beer Hall Putsch was inspired by the March on Rome. He thought... That the, the Nazis were in a position similar to what the black shirts were uh, in 22 when uh, they marched on Rome and, and, and Mussolini was just given control of government by a cowed uh, uh, house of Savoy. And it failed miserably. They got, the, the cops shot him. And uh, he went to jail. Obviously not for too long. But anyway, like, that was a hell of an insight. That was a hell of a uh, move. You know, He's kind of like a Ray Kroc figure of politics. Uh, and I say all that in, with those terms because fascism needs to be understood first and foremost as this inc- incredibly cynical attempt to create something that will work. It was a. It was a. It was a. Uh, an, a brand. It was a. It was a. Um, it were people. It was a group of people in search of power, uh, who had branding. that they knew worked, like what the kind of stuff that had emerged out of the push for socialism in Europe had created like this, uh, this thing that the public at large understood to mean opposition to the status quo and opposition to the powers that be and the idea of a new and better world than the one we had, a progressive one. Uh, and he pulled what worked out of that and put it out there uh, to prop up Capitalism, basically. Not the old rulers, not the old people who ran capitalism necessarily, but but capital in general, which meant that they got, uh, they were able to draw large numbers of people into their organization with the promise of vi- redemptive violence, which people love, uh, but without having to worry about really getting any kind of pushback from power, in fact, getting supported by power, and getting huge checks, huge... Uh, ch- Uh, wheelbarrows of lira from uh, the big landowners uh, and uh, the budding capitalists to break strikes and and, uh, stop agricultural work stoppages. And it got him into power almost immediately. Like, look how long it took Hitler to get his shit together. Italy took power almost immediately, 1922. That's impressive. But then the problem with fascism is that it really does it's predicated on imperial expansion. It's predicated on uh on expanding its internal market through domination of new territory and new resources, uh, because of its resistance to the subsumption into any kind of like uh global network of power. Like it, it's it's a uh it's a philosophy of national supremacy, which meant that for Italy and uh, I mean I don't think it's a coincidence. Italy and Germany were the countries that had fascism, and they were also the countries that missed out because they weren't—they uh, were late in being formed as nation states, as coherent nation states. They lost out on all the imperial spoils that had allowed capitalism to extend itself and extend its capacity beyond, like the, the locations of its original founding. But if they were going to maintain capitalism as the engine of our economy uh, and resist the sort of corporate, of like naked capital domination that leads to uh, uh, the social atomization and uh, uh, that you see in the, in like the advanced capitalist countries. So rather than do that, rather than strip that national character You've got to grab some of that territory. And when they tried to do that, it didn't go very well. Ethiopia was honestly harder than it should have been considering what the Ethiopian military was capable of, and they still used poison gas and shit. Uh, and then... Everything during World War II, really. Everything during World War II. He honestly might have helped save the Soviet Union because Operation Barbarossa had to be... Uh, postponed uh, because, or when it was originally supposed to happen, because against uh, Hitler's pleas, uh, Mussolini invaded Greece after taking Albania and in so doing got his ass kicked so bad that Greeks were actually taking back parts of Albania. And so, they had to divert forces to invade and, and, and uh, conquer the Greeks, which throw the timetable off. And then, yeah, overthrown, taken away by Otto Skorzeny to live in Salo, to where he presumably ate poop, according to that movie. Then caught in a roadway, shot by a, a firing squad, hung up by his ankles at a gas station. That's pretty fail. That's pretty fail, but the only reason I can't give him a full fail grade is because he really was a guy who came from nowhere, you know? I think one of the definitions of fail, for me, that's most important is that a lot of it comes with just being of the generation that comes that later, the generation that's had it happened are for them already. The ones who are supposed... The ones who are given the position of someone who has amassed a huge fortune or a huge amount of power in the world, but then... None uh, had developed none of the traits that the person who had uh, developed in the course of getting it. You know what I mean? Like, the things, that, the things that help you get somewhere are the things that help you stay there. And he didn't... And these guys, a fail person to me is someone who got the position but had none of anything that uh, like makes you worthy of the role, you know, in any meaningful sense. Obviously, you know, we're talking about... Cap- even in capitalism, there is still a role for like, skill and ability. And that's what capitalists like to point to is the thing that we're trying to reward with this system. But it's very, very small. What we mostly reward, what is vastly, vastly over, over- rewarded is luck. And not just like the luck to not have a brick fall on your head or you know get cancer or something, which is part of it, or get disabled in a specific way. Uh, that's all part of the luck. But the big part of the luck is being born into a position of already, uh, of already having assumed power. And we're being ruled right now by the copies of the copies of the copies who built this liberal meritocratic system. And so they have none of the, 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 the uh, abilities that are developed and chosen for through like, the theoretical uh, uh, competitive architecture of capitalism or politics. So I think anybody who has really failed... They have to have, in some respect, some significant respect, fumble the ball, drop the bag. and And Mussolini fucking made the bag in the first place. Uh, Fargo, people are asking about Fargo. Uh, five episodes in, very poor in my opinion. very bad show. Uh, just the it's blunt. it's obvious in a way that it didn't used to be. Like I kind of got bored with the way it would create these thematic and symbolic uh, presence to be opened by reviewers. But I now realize that I kind of missed that compared to the just lack of any subtext. And I think that's because they're trying to uh, address a social issue, which is not... I mean, the whole point of Fargo, right? It's supposed to be a riff on the Coens, the Coen universe, and the Coen worldview, and the Coen aesthetic, right? And I'm sorry, but that's not a big feature of it, is, like, social awareness, you know? That's not really what they are interested in. And a a movie and a, a series of shows that, like, don't really make sense, honestly outside of that context there's a reason that's called that and there's a reason that they have all these like the plots and the the setting and even the characters they're all established by Cohen brothers archetypes and now they're making a, a season that's about like you know the realities of race as it's lived in America and i'm sorry that's not something the coen's have ever really cared about and as a result you see just like the term paper mindset kick in where it's like we're going to give everybody a monologue about racism every episode which is not something that the previous seasons had. But I will say like I don't think this is some huge drop in quality cuz Fargo was always like clever but not fantastic just because it was so so, you know, fixated on like a- appealing to you know, an idea of quality and now I think the thing about this season is, is like now that element, like having to have a racial or like a social awareness element to the plot, I think that's now here, not just as like some pander, but because or not like a direct pander to like, oh, people are woke now let's give them something that's woke but just you know if the show really does seem to be in some way being driven uh, by like the pers- the, the uh, idea of what the critical response will be, then now I think in this current moment everyone is aware that the new critical consensus has that like for a real work of art to mean anything in the popular culture it has to speak to these questions and if it doesn't, it is inferior and I just don't think that's true, I disagree with that premise Uh, somebody wants uh, Biden cabinet uh, predictions. I'm going to go with the grimace for Secretary of the State. Uh, I know you're going to think uh, hamburglar at Treasury. No, thank you. Hamburglar at Defense. Mm. No. I honestly don't get why people get riled up about uh, any of the pet cabinet stuff. One, it's all just being leaked by specific staffers to make like to do some internal office politics bullshit. The way people read shit like that and just assume, "Oh, this is like the campaign telling us the truth," as opposed to this is some weasel in the campaign trying to position themselves for the post-campaign era. And, you know, that doesn't mean that it's not true and it certainly wouldn't be surprising, but it's also not something that one First of all, we can even know means anything other than office politics and people jockeying for position, which, I mean, tells you something. But two, it doesn't fucking matter who's in the cabinet. It doesn't matter who's in the cabinet. We know how this fucking government will be run. We know because we actually saw a primary contest that had, like, meaningful stakes, and the party... Destroyed a number of its presiding uh, institutional concepts from Me Too to the Iowa Caucus, and then killed their own fucking voters. And it's, you can't give them the, uh, you can't say that they're dumb like Trump when he denied the pandemic. They're the they're the party of science, right? They listened to doctors and they were telling people after the fucking lockdown started, ah, go vote, don't worry about it, be a hero, do democracy. And if anyone said don't do it, they said, wow. Uh, the Sanders campaign bringing up the ugly history of uh, voters, voter intimidation and suppression, harkening uh, uh, back to the days before the Civil Rights Act, when Democratic, uh, when minority Democrats were prevented from voting. And that's what Bernie Sanders and his gang of bulls Connor are trying to do. Like, that was a fight. And, like, they didn't want Biden. I think it's pretty clear when you see how wide the field was and how long it took that the last thing they wanted was to have this fucking fossil on top of the ticket. But they had no other options because the party faithful, broadly construed, didn't really have any preference among the heirs to the throne because the Democratic Party has forgot how to appeal to actual voters. Like, look at, what, look at what the Democratic electorate... And these are people who are Democrats. They accept so many of the premises of the Democratic Party. They, they're, in fact, basically enthralled to the Democratic Party because they will vote the way they're told to, which is what they ended up doing. But when, it's, when they were forced to choose between a choice, like, they basically got a lineup. The, 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 MS, uh, the DNC basically said, here's your choice, it's who you want. And, of course, Bernie was off the table. Bernie had his supporters. Bernie had his chunk of the electorate. And, and, you know, he was working to try to expand that, mostly through uh, reaching out to non-voters. didn't work well enough, but that was the goal. Meanwhile, you've got the regular Democrats. These are the people who go in there and punch the ticket on the Dems every four years, every two years. These are people who don't believe a lot of the, uh, you know, uh, right-wing American knee-jerk slanders around the Democrat Party. Like, they don't think that they're eating babies, you know. They think... That uh, NAFTA might have had some bad effects, but in general, it made America better. You know, like these people are not even like Trump curious folks, right? These are solid Democrats. And with presented with a next generation of people, a next generation to assume the mantle of the Obama Clinton uh, neoliberal Democratic Party, the DNC, the DLC mutant that emerged out of the '80s, uh, and post and in this like in a in a post 2008 world. This is, these are your options. Kamala, uh, Buttigieg, Gillibrand, uh, Biden, whatever. Uh, all of the new ones, all of the ones that were supposed to be the fresh face, uh, were, got no influence. No, no, I mean, no uh, real interest. Besides, of course, the freaks in Iowa and New Hampshire who specifically uh, are fixated on the new and the fresh. and Basically, they see themselves as like focus groups. And they see, give themselves the self-satisfaction and seriousness of purpose of a focus group. Like, okay, this is going to determine the next year's new flavor of m M&M. and I have to make sure that it's a good one. Or like, oh my God, these chips, if they're bad, that's going to be my fault. Like, they think that way because they're first. Everyone else is actually trying to think of, like, who they want to beat, uh, who they think could beat Trump and who they'd actually like to see. And none of them caught fire at all. None of them got any real stick. With any of those people, the only one who got any support was, as a default, Joe Biden, because he was the one most directly connected to Obama, who they actually liked and who they were really fond for. The guy who was able to successfully mask neoliberalism with a uh, like a a appeal not like just to Black Americans, but to like a whole segment of like college-educated whites as well. That, uh, that just disarm them to any of his faults and to the Democratic Party, not the Democratic Party's faults in general, which they have you know, fallen away from, but from the Democratic Party. And even though these are all people who like, oh, you know, they're all intersectional. They all know the language. They all know the language of this new, you know, woke capitalism people talk about that is the only thing that the Democrats are standing for at this point. And no, none of them could gain traction. None of them could. And when it came down to, uh, to South Carolina, ugh, people say, like, Clyburn uh, chose the... Uh, Ch- Clyburn sealed the fate of uh, Bernie and guaranteed it for Biden when he endorsed him. Uh, I, think, I, mean, that's, I think that's in a sense true, but I don't think it's because Clyburn picked the Democrats and said, Biden, I want him. What happened was it was getting down to the wire... None of the other people had any kind of uh, support among his actual base in South Carolina. He didn't want to go like out outside the lane and pick somebody that he knew people didn't like. Who did people still like? They still like Biden. Just give it to them. Like that's what he knew that he was connected enough to his own constituents to know that Biden's the guy that people like because they think it relates to uh, they remind him of Obama and they think that because they think he's a safe choice, so you can win. And that's because they don't know his brain is gone like everyone in the democratic party does so Clyburn was forced if i'm going to be if i'm i'm either going to keep my mouth shut until election day and then i know then i've lost my power because who needs me for anything or i'm going to ratify the decision of my supporters uh or my constituents by saying uh, uh biden and then getting everybody in south carolina to get rally around that, which is what happened, because South Carolina was not just huge margins in the black community; it was a huge surge in white suburban uh, uh, turnout for Democratic primary. It was a revolution against Bernie, which until that point they had been stymied by the fact that none of these people looked good. But Biden also didn't look good for another reason. For it's like different groups had different awarenesses of the different. Uh, uh, problems of the other candidates, and so Biden was the last choice. And I'm saying all this just to say, they didn't do this for nothing. They did this to hold power. Look at what they did with the fucking platform, where they could have said anything, because everyone knows the platform doesn't mean anything. They still made sure there was nothing in the in the platform about universal health care or fucking Israel or anything, anything hot button. They didn't give the Democrats any... uh, The the base, the leftists, the Berniecrats, they didn't give them anything because they didn't have to. They saw the measure of their opponent. They were able to defeat them, which means they don't fear them anymore, which is why I keep saying there is no left uh, stake in this election from the standpoint of, like, doing anything in a Biden presidency. There is no pushing him left. There is no having them, like, somehow recognize the worth of having the left as a part of the coalition, the fight has been, won, lo- has been lost at that point. Like, we're already in the aftermath of the defeat. Like, the, Bernie was the effort. It was to hollow out the Democratic Party from within. Like, if, like one of those wasps who, like, bore into the head of, a, of like, a, a grasshopper or something and lay eggs. Like If you want to vote for Biden, do it for whatever like harm reduction reason makes sense to you, even though none of that makes sense to me at all. I don't think we're, hard, we're, we're reducing dick. Uh, but for God's sake, don't do it thinking that the left has anything to do with it. And by the way, same thing goes for saying, no, I'm going to vote for... I'm not going to vote. Or I'm going to vote for a party. Or I'm going to vote for Trump as the ultimate own. That's not going to matter either. Because if you they lose they're still in charge and they get to blame you for not coming out if they win they get to take you for granted again but honestly I've been thinking about it and like the entire the entire liberal argument that they give used for making the left vote is in my opinion basically incoherent. Uh, like, from just a moral perspective, tell me if you think this is crazy, but uh, like they say, a vote for a vote for anybody but Biden is essentially a vote for Trump. And of course, that only makes sense if the underlying assumption is, is that that person would be voting for Biden or should be voting for Biden and sh- more importantly than should, because technically, shouldn't everybody be voting for Biden? Shouldn't even re- uh, uh, Trump supporters be voting for Biden? Why are only leftists the ones whose failure to vote for Biden is the, is the cause for them to be the reason that he lost? And it's because they, they say, no, no, but those Trump people, they, they are ba- they're either stupid or evil. You know better. But see, that's twining different types of knowledge into one thing. Like, the, what they're referring to is the fact that you have a similar understanding to the liberal About, you know, the need for, you know, uh, things like anti-racism or, uh, uh, you know, civic equality, uh, economic egalitarianism, even. Because the liberal will insist that they're just as socialist as you. They just know it's realistic. And they say, we both want these things. You want those things. Then by not voting for Biden, you are voting for Trump. But the thing is, is that there's another level beyond just that common understanding. It's, all right, we have these values. How do we enact them? And that is a tactical question that is separate from the question of whether or not you have a similar understanding of what the political good is. How do you achieve it? That's the, whole, that's the whole thing. That's the actual point of argument. And they allied it completely to assume it within the greater moral uh, imperative for you to vote. And I would say that if you look at voting as it really is, not as we fantastically imagine it to be, as for you, not as a general thing, but as you as a person sitting in a voting booth, uh, what it is is a expression of a preference for government, right? So if like you're saying the person has to vote because like everyone should vote, basically the Kantian imperative of... You do, do what you want everyone to do. Like in a political realm, you should behave the way you want everyone to behave. And it's like, yeah, then you want people to participate, because otherwise then you just have some sort of dictatorship. you'd have to. If people aren't going to participate in a punitive democracy, you don't have one. So yes, you should vote. But then you should vote, but then the next th- but, but within that is, who are you voting for? Because you are doing an, an act of individual moral reasoning. You got to remember that you're not coordinating activity. We pretend we pretend that voting is a collective endeavor instead of a hundred million individual ones. To elide this fact, but this is some fun. Like when reasoning about it, if we're gonna, if if I don't know what anyone else is gonna do, really beyond like maybe the circle of my close friends and like what I see in fucking polls, then I just have to act from what I think should be done. And so then the the imperative is not to just vote; it's to vote your conscience, which means vote for. You know, a uh, third party of your choice, or write in somebody. Because if everyone wrote for that person, you'd have something good. If everyone voted for who you're voting for, then you'd have a great outcome. I mean, that's, if anything, that's an argument not to vote ironically to, like, if you're not going to vote for Biden, vote earnestly for a third-party person of your choice or write in Bernie or something. But it's not an argument about who to vote for. That's separate. That's about tactics. And it's also about your understanding of what the parties mean and what Biden's presidency would mean. Because there's plenty of evidence that a Biden presidency will... You can't say, like, it's going to be not as bad as Trump... In a broad sense, but once again, like, what does bad mean? Uh, But it will definitely be a further development of terrible, terrible processes. It will not be interrupting, but rather accelerating the worst things that are happening in our political and economic system. And even there, you know, who to vote for is up to you. you got to thread that needle. But it's not this open and shut case. Because the open and shut case... Is buried down here, in like the moral uh, argument about like a a, a a mutual understanding of like you know rights-based huma- humanity, uh, and equality. Even though, if you really are, if, if they really are a di- if they were a, really are a lib, and someone really does have you know deeply felt socialist uh, priors, not even there's not even an agreement there because the idea of what constitutes, you know, rights and freedom is different. But say at like that level, you know, not as deep as where the conflict begins and not as uh, shallow as where it comes back tactically, there's an agreement. But that's just like one thin slice of agreement and they turn it into a moral imperative to go along with their horseshit. And I say, I just want to fucking, I just own at this point, I just want to see something funny happen. Trump talking about how he wanted to kiss all the guys for a couple of days while he was jacked up on steroids. That was pretty fun. That was funny. Someone says we need to stop moralizing about everything 24 hours a day. Holy shit. If I see one fundamental flaw, like beyond obviously the nature of online political argumentation, I would say that you know, the specific expression of that, like the, 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 the category error that occurs that is generated by online argumentation and, and like the, the structures of it, is the constant turning of every question into a moral one every question is a, is a question of like essence like a good or bad, is this act good or bad, is this person good or bad and, of, and those questions are unsolvable by definition because unbeknownst to the people making them, they're making them just to have something to do, they're arguments that are made to be had Who is a moralist favorite president? Jimmy fucking Carter. Absolutely. Carter absolutely was a moralist first and foremost. A, a earnest one. I would argue that, J- that Jimmy Carter, like he has had a virtuous post-war, uh, post-presidential life. I would not argue that point at all. Compared to the other ones, my God, it's not even close. And that kind of gives people this idea of like, well, he couldn't have been that bad of a president because he is a better man than most presidents. And the thing is, yes, he is a better man, I would say, in some sort of soul-measuring contest with the other presidents, he would win. But that very fact, in the context of his presidency, is what made him such a uniquely terrible president. Because he was absorbing all of this essentially reactionary uh, economic uh, uh, propaganda... Uh, and turning it into, like, the firmament, like, the actual structure of reality, and then reasoning morally from within that constraint, which, as President of the United States, I'm sorry, he should not be doing, unless he wants to reify all of the worst emergent ideas within capitalism, and the worst tendencies. And he did what he did, like, try to bring about a recession on purpose. Somebody said, uh, uh, that Yeah, that like, well, Volcker did a lot of it with the, with the interest rate hike, and that wasn't, you know, that was just, that's technically not Carter, because he's, you know, appointing somebody. First of all, that's bullshit. The Federal Reserve is just like the Supreme Court. It is a political institution that is designed to look like it's somehow independent of the political process. And it's, and, and it's all a, 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 uh, a collectively agreed upon lie that we maintain in order to prop up the system. Which is why John Roberts is the smartest Republican on earth and why every, Demo- every Republican who yells at John Roberts really proves that he is, well, he's either playing to the base or he's a moron. Because Roberts, for example, Roberts joined the liberals in uh, a Pennsylvania case about a, a lower court ruling to uh, stop the Republicans from preventing mail-in ballots from going out uh, three days before the, pres- before the election. And some Republicans are genuinely pissed about this. They do not understand, or they don't want to understand, or they don't care, I guess, that Roberts Roberts understands that these things being perceived as independent institutions is what maintains their their persistent power in American politics. If they did not have that, they would eventually be attacked by the political system. If everyone understood them, if if there was a collective understanding that these things were not independent of politics, if there was not a taboo against politicizing them uh, they would be immediate that's what the the Republicans are saying we're going to put more guys in the Supreme Court and then they're going to add guys to the Supreme Court Like, if you're me, I, I go who cares, so what liberals, Democrats, understand that that's a genuine threat, that's scary because if that were to happen it would politicize the Supreme Court in a way that would render it no longer usable as a Box stop to prevent real, you know, left-wing government control or exertion of control, because you can, you can't point to the ref and say it's not me, it's the ref. If the ref has lost his, if the ref is understood to be Tim Donaghy, for example, uh, and so Roberts understands that if the court's going to be around to do things like stop a Green New Deal from happening with uh, uh, legislation or more likely than anything, uh, prevent universal health care from coming into being. Uh, or just, like, further stripping voting rights away, especially if the left becomes ascendant. Uh, that's only going to be possible if, there's, if, if, the, if there's, enough un, uh, there's enough political cost associated with attacking the Supreme Court to prevent it from being carried out. Or, more importantly, to prevent the base from demanding it be carried out. Like, right now, the thing that allows Democrats to play uh, possum with the, Demo- the Supreme Court uh, is the knowledge that there's really nothing their base is going to do about it. They don't fucking care. Uh, they, Or, more importantly, even though they ha- are horribly angry and awful and feel terrible about this, well, they have absorbed the democratic ideology that there's nothing to be done because the Supreme Court has to be protected from, from politicization. If that perception goes away, it becomes... Inevitable over time that there will be pressing, there'll be pressure on the court as an institution. And he wants to prevent that from happening. And doing things like joining the liberals, especially on things that they really care about, and right now what they care about more than anything is making sure that this election does not turn into 2000 again. That's buying him good boy points for the next ruling. But anyway, this is all a big digression to say that Carter thought he was reasoning in this reality that was actually a pseudo reality that was being projected to him by this new uh, post-Keynesian uh, austerity economics that said that the thing that was driving, that the only way to solve inflation and to get the economy back on track was to break the back of working-class power uh, rather, and, and, and essentially end the continual rise of the workers' labor share of, uh, of now-dwindling profits instead of, I don't know, taking those profits from the uh, ownership side. That wasn't on the table, and so when he told people wear a sweater and you know turn down the thermostat, and we're gonna stop you from being able to fucking um, borrow money, like I was, this is what I was saying when I was talking about the Volcker shock. It wasn't just Volcker; he wasn't just applying Volcker. It was, uh, it was doing. He didn't do wage and price controls. He did credit controls, where in the second half of his uh, term. He reduced the amount of money that could be lent to people at the retail level. That's the kind of thing that will basically force a recession to happen. They were doing it on purpose, and he was doing it out of virtue. He was going to wean America off excess on behalf of virtue. Not capitalism, but virtue. So yeah, moral questions. At this point, what is the point of it other than entertainment? How about some questions of efficacy? How about some how about some questions of usefulness and effectiveness? And I know that these are not totally un, uh, 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 removable, but I find that any actual tactical questions get turned into moral questions almost immediately. And then it is insisted, no, no, we have to solve this moral question and decide who's right between these two sides on this moral issue before we can progress. Because then we're going to be using the master's tools or some bullshit. And my answer to that is just, these differences you think you have are unresolvable. And besides the point. Because, you know, the rightness of the, of the morality, honestly, a lot of it will be revealed uh, in, in the course of who is arguing in good faith uh, and uh, and uh, with an eye towards like, reality. Those are the kind of things that suggest to you who is uh, more connected to reality and more likely to be able to uh, conceive of and pursue effective action. Uh, is, it that e- is it that easy to remove your choice from voting ironically from the af- effect that not having Trump in office has on many Americans? Well, for one thing, I don't know what that effect is going to be. People say that, but what does it really mean? Do you, what do you really mean by that is my question, I guess. What, and I would like people to list this. What realistically do they think, what pain, what persistent pain are we going to see removed from America by Biden being president instead of Trump? I'm not talking about anything in terms of, uh, you know, norms or, or even even things with normalizing and all that stuff. Because, yes, that's that might be true, but it's a little pie in the sky. I'm talking about actual conditions. I mean, do you think that they're just going to open up all those uh, cages for the kids and, and just let them out? And, and do you think that's going to happen? I don't think that's going to happen. Now, yes, uh, I would say one group, visa holders or people seeking visas, absolutely 100%. I agree that that, will, that there will be an immediate uh, boot off of your neck, for sure. I'm not like saying there is none. I'm trying to run through what they actually are. So that's one for sure, visa holders in general. But other than that, like people who are here illegally... There might be fewer ice raids and stuff, but, like, deportation's still going to happen. Ice is still going to be there. Environment? I mean, what does does Biden want to really do? What does Biden really want to do that's that different from what Trump's doing? Maybe he might close off a few public lands to drilling, which is good. But once again, like, in a broader sense, have we decelerated any trends significantly? And, like, the big one, people want to talk about authoritarianism, but I'm sorry with this fucking Whitmer kidnapping plot and a response to it, I mean, I don't really... I don't see some sort of ratcheting down of authoritarian, uh, like, excess in the Biden term. If anything, what you might see is sort of like a war on terror, war on domestic terror, like where the Whitmer plot becomes a model for, like, a newly uh, anti-fascist federal... Law enforcement mechanism, like an anti DHS and FBI, that's gonna uh, you know maintain popular support by reminding people how many how many Nazis are under the bed. And even if they don't do that, there's gonna be plenty. There's going to be uh, plenty of uh, blame to go around enough to allow sort of the the current uh, authoritarian moment to continue essentially unchallenged. Like these Democratic mayors who send in squads of psycho cops to gas everybody, they're not going to act any differently with Biden's in charge, and Biden's not going to, what, put any real pressure on them. But again, these questions are secondary because... None of you are going to determine the outcome of this. You pressing a button doesn't make it happen. You going in and voting for Biden doesn't mean that when Biden's in, you're responsible that he's in there, and therefore responsible for all the lives that were saved. Or if you don't vote for Biden, you're responsible for all the extra deaths and misery. That's not true. Why is voting for Bernie a collective political act? For voting for Biden can't be because Bernie represented a coherent challenge to the Democratic Party as such from within, and you had to accept certain premises that differed from fundamental Democratic policy uh, uh, agendas and and tactical uh, understandings and doctrine in order to vote for Bernie. And that wouldn't mean that you're going to now become a diehard. You're not going to, but it's going to mean that your voting is. It's not just for one candidate, it is for a coherent political project. The Democratic candidate who emerged from that fucking primary after defeating Bernie uh, has no such, there's no coherence behind the vote against it. It's everyone from embarrassed suburban Republicans to, uh, to Antifa. And who the hell do you think is going to get the actual influence in that campaign? Or, I mean, in that presidency? That's another way you can tell the really dumb, li- the dumb, cons- the dumb conservatives are the ones who actually believe that Biden is like in thrall to Antifa or whatever the fuck. Like there was some dumb thing from that nitwit uh, Weinstein brother and fucking conceptual James today about involuntary conservatives. Uh, people who will accept all the horrible ideas that, yes, we understand 100% how terrible Trump is. We are reality-based. We understand that Trump is awful and that he lies and that he is a fraud and a criminal and all this stuff because to not understand, honestly, like, educated people understand that to not at least recognize Trump's manifest and manifold failures as a human and as a fucking president and as everything requires a certain uh, glassy-eyed mania to you. It requires you to be in the thrall of MAGA to some degree. Uh, to 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 a degree that is reality warping outside of the accepted level of warp you're allowed in polite company so you've got to think of some other reason and the one these guys have cooked up is that I can't vote for Biden because look at these guys saying abolish the Constitution and and court pack and and uh, and enforce uh, uh, anti racism at the barrel of a gun and that is a result of someone being a moron and also just looking at twitter all day and thinking it's real life because if you can't look at the actual dynamics of the party and what has happened in the last year and see that there is no actual influence from that part of whoever ends up voting for the democrats on biden on the dnc on the party in general you are you are as you are as self-hypnotized as a q person i'm sorry i don't care if you want to think you're smarter than them but you're basically not if you could look at the world and look at the democratic party and say yeah you know Biden. He's a he's a puppet for uh, for the fucking um, for what the new Black Panther Party or whatever the fuck. I mean, now when you want to talk at the level of like language, yeah, I would be. I can't wait to see how hilariously woke Biden tries to be. Like obviously they're gonna use Kamala for most of it, but there's gonna all the language, all the academic anti-racism language is gonna come out. It's gonna be horrifying, and I welcome it because. You know, I think it'll be an alienating moment for a lot of people to just see the wildly uh, 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 cynical use of their language, and they're going to be left with a choice: like, w- do I do I accept the the reality that this stuff really at this point is just just a cudgel for the establishment, uh, or do I realize that it has to be transcended? And I mean, I'm not saying everybody's going to choose the right choice there, but I think some people will, and. I welcome that as a possible good outcome of Biden being in there. Uh, But anyway, there will be no practical changes. No policies are going to be enforced to make your life. They're not going to fucking blow up the Constitution or the Supreme Court. I was just talking about how they need to reinforce uh, the the, the, uh, public. uh, They need to super... What they're going to be doing in there is taking every institution that Trump undermined by treating it like it was because Trump went in there like a child and he didn't understand that he's supposed to be upholding the kayfabe, that no, these institutions are not independent. These institutions are not political. He just went in there and just was like, yeah, no, this, these guys all work for me, right? FBI director works for me. Supreme Court worked for me. These guys are all, I'm, all, I'm on the apprentice and these are my employees. In reality, yeah, like at this point, the, you know, the constitution plus, uh, you know, 250 years of, uh, of governmental uh, expansion and complication, all of it being concentrated in one executive office that is the combination of head of state and government for some stupid fucking reason. In reality, all of these things that were supposed to be checks on presidency are not just extensions of presidential power, especially and then if the party that the president in, in a new par, in a partisan political environment where there's two co- coherent parties with like different agendas, that supersede any kind of uh, 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 investment in an institution that they might be a part of, that means that if you control the legislative, they essentially work for you, too. And he treated everybody that way. And Democrats have spent four years freaking out because we're not supposed to realize that. We're not supposed to know that. We're supposed to think that, no, these things are independent. These things are checks on both sides so that they can be used when they need to be used. And when you get a 6-3 majority in the Supreme Court, and you're the Democrats, my God, that is a gift to we Now we have a, a guaranteed uh, excuse for why we can never follow through on anything that our base wants and has a delusion in their mind that we actually want have any interest in pursuing. And so when he gets in there, Biden is going to just be like fucking uh, uh, Fix-It Felix from Wreck-It Ralph just going around and uh, putting back all of these institutions building up the, their independence from, uh, from the executive. And that means they're not going to fucking monkey with the Constitution. They're not going to add any s- seats to the Supreme Court. And if you think they are, you're a fucking moron. And you've and you just stared into the abyss of, of the online for so long that you've turned the fucking random hooting of a bunch of just cope-addicted um, pseudo-radicals who spend their days online uh, cosplaying a political revolution that they know in their heart will never happen. And then say, yeah, these guys actually control the Democratic Party. Wait a minute. All right. This is interesting. Your argument is forget about the visa holders. Forget about the COVID victims. Forget about women and minorities. I need to wax ambivalent about voters to self-soothe about the Bernie loss. Once again, I don't get what that has to do with my vote. I am not determining any of that. My vote and even what I say on the stream will not determine that outcome. And I keep banging that drum because like these things lose these ritualized pseudo-performances of political power have to be broken down. And that means voting as like the locus of political meaning and moral expression, and also posting. Because they're just different manifestations of the same uh The same phenomenon of of just this shadow politics. No, voting for... No, that's different. If you don't get why it's different, it's not for you. And nothing in this world is... Remember that one? All right, what is it? It's almost time. Maybe one question before I go. Voting less than posting, less than podcasting. I would say... I would say... I would say voting is, will be one step closer than either podcasting or voting to real politics because it does contribute to an event that has an actual impact on something. I will say that. But it's just one level more advanced. It's just one level removed. Uh, and the thing is, there's an accelerationist case for Biden, too. Like there's all these guys out there who've decided that they're gonna that their their form of cope is I'm actually voting for Trump, because uh, you know he's the real challenge to the status quo. Or whatever, it's like that. You're just trying to uh, wring some some meaning out of this, some sense that you're not owned. Sorry, everyone's fucking owned in this. We've all been owned. There's no way out of voting. There's no vote you can do. There's nothing you can have in your head while you're pressing the button that's gonna unown you in this election. We are fully, fully owned. Uh, If voting isn't meaningful, then running for office isn't either. I didn't say it's not meaningful. I'm saying that its meaning is not in proportion to the way that people talk about it, to the amount of psychic resources that it kicks up, the amount of people's political identity it composes. And I'd say running for office would be one more step closer to real action than voting. But once again, at that point, come the questions of, like, tactics and feasibility. If you're going to run for something, why? Is it to get out of the house? Do you have an actual thing to contribute beyond I've read the posts and I have the good politics from the good posts? Is there something about you specifically that positions you well to present a socialist alternative in a plausible, like, uh, uh, electoral context? Like it's a, it's a stack, like political identity is the stack of actions, you know, that go from thinking some, having certain things that you think of as ideas, to expressing those ideas to the people around you, expressing them online in different formats, then expressing them through actions like, you know, organizing, uh, you know, organizing a union or your work if that's viable, or running for office, or whatever, or voting, whatever, those are actions. And it's it's a, our understanding of ourselves is like, pursuing political goals, embodying political ideas, is some percentage of those things. And all I am saying is that voting is this gigantic thing in people's self-conceptions around it. And as long as it is, it's just gonna rob you of the fuel to really pursue anything that might be more close to the ground and more consistent. A daily use of power that goes beyond just thinking things and expressing them online. A daily pressing against the, the, the uh, accumulated horrors around us. Living a political life. Living political ideas. Uh, and voting, not saying I wouldn't be part of that. This isn't all. This isn't either or, it's yes and. It's adding things to your understanding of what it takes to be a, what it really means to be a political subject, and the only way you can do that is if you have to make room for other things. and And I'd say the thing to, to kick out first of all, the thing to dump off the fucking uh, the hot air balloon to lighten the load is your understanding of the of the moral uh, weight around the issue of voting. Beyond that. Like when people say, what do you, okay, well, log off. What do you do? That's up to you. You have to make that decision based on your own world and your own life and your own understanding of your world and your life. I can say, vote as part of a political expression. Then, though, who to vote for? Same thing. You got to make that choice. All right, guys, I'm going to log off here. It's ama- I, I'm, I'm going to likely... The fake news media is going to smear me again after this about what he said about voting. But it really does seem like there's like a, a conscious decision to not hear what I'm fucking saying. Maybe I'm not expressing myself clearly, and that's very possible. I am just going off the fucking top of my head. But I really do feel like the responses I get from people to when I try to explain this stuff, it does seem like they're trying not to get what I'm saying. All right, I'm logging off. Bye-bye.